Original Flavor Foundation, Tapes of Our Lives. Let's go. So the idea for the Tapes of Our Lives podcast kind of came about one day when I was just going through a box of old tapes. It's an old shoebox, old Nike shoebox, the uh, Nike Air Penny 2s that apparently came out in like around 96, 97. And a lot of the tapes in there are even older than that from 92, 93 and, and on. And just as I was going through them, they're, they, they just brought up so many memories of, you know, friends I still talk to. You know, just moments in, in, in middle school and high school and just, just just good times, good nostalgia. And, you know, even friends that aren't around anymore, family that aren't around anymore. And, you know, I just thought it'd be a, a really interesting idea for a podcast to just come on and, you know, talk about those tapes, kind of review them and give the history of those tapes and then give a little bit of history of what I remember. And with that... I hope people listen to this podcast and kind of were like, oh yeah, I remember I was hanging out with so-and-so at the time. We were doing this, doing that. I was in middle school. I was in high school. I was out of school. I was in jail. I was somewhere, you know, when they heard, when they first heard this tape or when they were really bumping this tape. That's such a difference from what I see now of, of music being released. And, and and back in the day, these we listened to these tapes like, you know, take like Black Moons into the stage. Like I listened to that tape for years it was on repeat forever but now i just feel like you know th this day and age you know, just singles and albums they just come and go so quick like i think even you know taking black moon as an example they 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 rode who got the props for about a year i heard them say in an interview and they didn't even have an album that was the only song that they had recorded and they rode the coattails of that that song for a year and I mean, nowadays people release a song and it's just like it's dismissed after, you know, maybe a month. And I, I feel like I'm stretching it on that point. But I mean, to get back to the point, I want this podcast to be about, you know, the love we had for these tapes. I mean, I look at a lot of these tapes, like, for instance, the first tape I want to I want to throw out there that you heard here in the background, you heard in the beginning of the podcast was Wu-Tang Clan's Protect Your Neck. Like that single that that entered the 36 Chambers. I mean, that album was like a family member to me man that thing was on repeat for months for years and it's i mean it still is to this day i listen to it all the time i know and a lot of my friends still do too you know they go they go crazy when they hear it you know they they, they really shouldn't be driving their car when they're listening to that thing because they just lose their mind man there's just there's just so much raw emotion in that entire album but in getting back to the idea for the podcast i, I kind of was wondering like you know what tape should i pick first for for the first episode and i figured wu-tang clan's protect your neck was a was a pretty good place to start in that personally it, it started the era of hip-hop that i kind of call home the one that 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 that, that second golden era of hip-hop kind of i guess you would call it like the boom bap era it's just the era that i feel like i listened to the most i mean i was in my early teenage years when when this stuff was coming out and you know that that's kind of your your most impressionable years and as i mentioned before i mean these things are like a family member to us this this single came out initially they recorded it in 92 and they released it independently on wu-tang records themselves and they pretty much released it throughout the tri-state area i mean i'm sure it had a little bit more reach than that but 
it, it, it didn't get national recognition. It didn't, didn't get national distribution until they linked up with uh, Steve Rifkin and Loud Records, which at that point, that would have been when I heard it for the first time when it got that national distribution. I mean, I was in South Florida, a thousand miles away from New York. So I remember vividly the first time I heard it, I was on the basketball court and it's just something that me and my buddies did every every day after school. We all just met up at the basketball court. And I'll never forget the day my buddy Mike, somebody who I talk to to this day, pretty much my oldest friend, I'll never forget. He came up to me and handed me some white cassette tape single. And he was like, I don't know what the hell this shit is, but everybody is listening to this shit at school. And he was he was in, I think, ninth grade at that point. I was in about sixth grade. And, you know, so he was the high school kid. So, you know, I, I figured, you know, probably he probably knew best so and everybody in high school they were just the older kids you always looked up to him as a as a middle schooler so i i gave it a shot and after that day i never looked back i mean i bumped that that tape that album just day in and day out man both sides just flipping it back and forth back and forth the version that i had was uh it had protection neck on the a side i believe it had the bloody version and the shaolin version bloody version being the dirty version and the Shaolin version being the clean cut, which had all the karate chops and the sword chops and stuff like that that made it so original in itself. And then on that release, it had Method Man on the B side. But the first release that they put out independently actually had Protect Your Neck on the A side, of course. But then on the B side, it actually had Tears, um, a, a kind of an early demo cut of Tears. Check the sweat. But when it came to getting that national distribution, um, I guess, you know, Loud Records and the clan figured they, they should probably switch up that, that B-side to something a little more commercial. And it was unanimous throughout, probably, I mean, I would imagine Loud Records and the whole clan that Method Man was the track. They Everybody loved the beat and it had that hook. And the only person that really didn't like it was Method Man himself. I hated it, and to this day, I still hate the song, you know what I'm saying? But it paved the way a little something, too. Rakim, Old Dirty, I guess the rest of the clan, they always said that it was fat and that it was going to do well like that. They always knew. But I, myself, I'm a humble warrior, baby, for real, man. I'm my worst critic, you know what I'm saying? I have my own stuff. It could be banging to somebody else and I'll still be doubting. And in choosing Method Man for the B-side actually kind of lined up perfectly with the RZA's five-year plan for the Wu-Tang Clan. He had this plan even before they released Into the 36 Chambers. He always knew he wanted to release the kind of the Posse album first, the whole clan, get everybody, get some recognition for the whole clan, the whole crew. And then he had a, he had a very specific plan for the next five years as to who he wanted to release solo albums with and in, in what exact order. So the first album, was obviously into the 36 chambers and then the first solo album he wanted to release right off the bat was method man's decal he always thought method man had the most recognizable voice and the most charisma out of the clan at that time so at that point he released method man's decal on def jam in march of 95 Return to the 36 Chambers was released, which was Old Dirty's first solo album on Elektra. Then, only a few months later, in August of 95, 
Raekwon released his first solo album, only built for Cuban links, on RCA. No chicks, no chicks, baby. And the fifth album to be released was Jizza's Liquid Swords back in November of 95. So kind of in retrospect of all this, a couple, couple things to point out was, I guess it really wasn't a five-year plan. It was always kind of relayed as like a five-year plan, but it's more like a five-album plan. But nonetheless, I, I just wanted to kind of cover the first five albums there. And it's just kind of crazy that Return to the 36 Chambers, Only Built for Cuban Links, and Liquid Swords all came out in the same year. Like, I, I kind of didn't even remember that that happened. That's, that's just crazy to think that those three classic albums came out within a couple months of each other. And most of the most of the production on those tapes, those albums were were done by the RZA. That's that, it's just crazy to think that those albums, that the production, the beats, the samples, they all pretty much came from one mind. And it's kind of interesting that you know the RZA always saw the album releases, the albums themselves, as as movies. You know, he's he's brought up the example that you know Return to the Thirty Six Chambers. He saw that as kind of a Richard Pryor movie. And with Only Built for Cuban Links, he said that that's his mafia flick. And of course, the Jizz's Liquid Swords would have to be his his version of the Shogun Assassin, without a doubt. And another point I thought was definitely worth making, just to point out the genius of the of the RZA even more. I mentioned all the, the record labels these albums were released on, and every one of them was released on a different label. And that was just his way of spreading the whole clan throughout the entire industry. He did not want one record label to release you know, every one of their albums. He wanted to spread all of the clan throughout the entire industry and just be a whole industry takeover. To just change course here a little bit, I wanted to touch on the, the landscape of hip hop and rap at this time when the Wu-Tang was initially just coming onto the scene. The, the landscape was pretty much dominated by the chronic, you know, Dr. Dre and that whole G-Funk era going on at that time that that's what was dominating the airwaves but with that being said that doesn't mean that there there weren't a lot of really good east coast hip-hop groups hip-hop acts coming out at that time like for instance dos effects released dead serious diamond d released stunts blunts and hip-hop Diggable Planets put out their first album, Reachin'. We beat to rap what key beat to lock. Tupac released Strictly Forma. Master Ace dropped Slaughterhouse. And two of my favorite albums that came out in that kind of late 92, early 93 era were Redman's What the Album. Mike, check. And one of my favorite albums of all time that I truly bumped for years and years and still to this day find it in my heavy rotation, that being Black Moon's Into the Stage. Alright, just to get back on topic here real quick about Protect Your Neck, I just had a, a few other little things I wanted to share that I found out while doing research for this podcast that I had never known about. In that, when the clan went to go record the vocals for Protect Your Neck, they actually recorded at Firehouse Studios, where other acts like MC Light, Audio 2, and DOS Effects had recorded. But they won, they only paid $300 for all the members to record their vocals there, which maybe at the time was expensive, but 
for me in my head right now it seems pretty cheap to having recorded such a classic single there but also on top of the $300 they actually paid that $300 in quarters which I just that's just crazy to me but I think I recall an interview with Ghostface where in which he qualifies that actual story that they did actually pay in quarters to have their vocals for their first single recorded but what I find even crazier on top of even all those stories was the fact that when they went in and recorded the vocals for Protect Your Neck, they actually recorded over a completely different beat from the one that we know on the single. Here, check out the uh, the RZA's explanation. It was a track that all of us liked, right? But the track that we rhymed to was originally an inspector deck track called Blowing Up The Spot. We, we, we let everybody get on it and then strip the track. And then I rebuild the track around everybody. So I caught the advantage right there to really feel it because they killed it to the original track that we used. But when I had the chance to, to deal with the science of making sounds and putting the right sound, the right person's voice and the right feeling, the right term, I'm saying, in other words, if we mix it over, that's when it came out like that. Well, all right, y'all. That's all I got for the first episode of the Tapes of Our Lives. But I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you maybe learned something new about the Wu-Tang Clan. But... If nothing else, I hope you were able to remember, you know, maybe the first time you heard of the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, what was the first song you ever heard? What album was it? Was it maybe Wu-Tang Forever? Was it even maybe one of the solo albums? You know, that's, it'd be cool if you maybe hit me up on Instagram at Original Flavor Foundation or leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast, be it iTunes, Anchor, oh, I'm not going to name them all, but there's so many places you could be listening to it. I just want to kind of hear what kind of nostalgia it kicks up for everybody else like it does for me so i'm going to try and release these you know at the very least once a month but i want to release them on tuesdays because that's just such a nostalgic day for me that's when music came out back in the 90s it came out on a tuesday movies came out on a friday that's just the way it was anyway thank you all for listening i really do appreciate it i hope you come back and listen to a few more and um i'll catch you on the next episode peace the best of tech, you're not. The best of tech, you're not. The best of tech, you're not. The best of tech, you're not.